Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. Get ready to get back into action because there's a lot on tap. We know the president's going to have a virtual bilateral meeting with the president of Mexico, his first one. And then we're going to see that Merrick Garland's going to officially become attorney general today. Those are two things we guarantee will happen. But what should happen, especially when it comes to this Mexican leader, he was working with President Trump brilliantly, one of the last leaders to not uh, to uh, to recognize Joe Biden as the winner of the election because he was working with us at the border. The Remain in Mexico policy allowed chaos not to reign, and he put his, uh, his Marines on the southern border, and he let everybody know if you come into America, you're not going to get in illegally, that we can tell, that we can help. That has all changed because— This administration has opened the door, and it's created chaos. They expect 13,000 unaccompanied minors by May. That is by far an all-time record. We cannot handle, we cannot digest three countries into one, and us being the one, because uh, it is America first. We should care about your job first and your schools not being overcrowded with illegals. There's a right way to get here. And by the way, you know where those kids go? They go to working-class communities. The ones that are usually paying the least for their teachers, need the most upkeep and and much upgrading in terms of schools, and they get the overcrowded classrooms with kids that don't speak English. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have support from Republican mayors and county executives. We have support from Republican governors for the rescue plan. This bill is bipartisan. It's bipartisan everywhere in the country, except the U.S. Capitol. Well, maybe. COVID-19 rescue package. The House barely passes $1.9 trillion package with zero Republican votes and lost two Democratic votes in the House. We'll talk about what's likely to happen in the Senate, why we need need this now. It makes no sense. There is $1 trillion still unspent from past rescue packages. Number two. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me Uh, Yeah, I think a lot at the CPAC did. Most did. CPAC shows the death of the Republican Party and their leader, Donald Trump, has been greatly exaggerated. What the four-day conservative fan fest revealed about the state of the party and the takeaways from the president's first major appearance since January 6th, including his decision not to attack big time as Republican attackers and why Dems and Joe Biden should be very, very concerned. Number one. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo apologizing for what he calls inappropriate and insensitive comments. Cuomo facing allegations from two former aides who accuse him of sexual harassment. For the first time, the governor is acknowledging his behavior amid calls for him to be ousted. Andrew Cuomo, rarely in American political history, have the mighty fallen so far so fast. A party was once eyeing him for president in 2020 and frontrunner in 2024. Now might be sending him out the door. The two sexual harassment allegations and the rash of condemnations coming your way for the love gov 
The worst might be yet to come. I really think so. This Charlotte Bennett, 25 years old, an executive assistant and health advisor to Cuomo uh, until November, told the New York Times that the governor had harassed her uh, right around the, the height of the COVID-19 fight, which he did terrible on. Uh, even though his speeches were great, his PowerPoint was effective. He wasn't good with policy. We led the nation until deaths until California outstripped us by the other inept governor, governor without the UG go, Gavin Newsom. Quote, she had never had sex with uh, one of the questions that she asked, that he asked her, had she ever had sex with older men? She became uh, uneasy about questions she said Cuomo asked her last spring about her personal life, including whether she was monogamous or whether, as I just mentioned, that question. Also, much as he told her, he's fine with anyone the age of 22. She reported that what had happened and her discomfort about it to Cuomo's chief of staff and special counsel. She accepted a transfer to another job within the administration where she would not have so much personal contact with the governor. But ultimately, she left state government because she found Cuomo's presence suffocating. Her accusations corroborated by texts and with others, including her mother, who say she told them about her interactions with the governor shortly after they happened, followed by those former state economic development official, Lindsay Boylan, who alleges Cuomo harassed her on multiple occasions. She came out for this woman, too. Cuomo's initial response was this. The situation cannot and should not be resolved in the press. I believe the best way to get to the truth is about through a full and thorough uh, outside review. And I'm directing all state employees to comply with this effort. I ask all New Yorkers to await findings of the review so that they know the facts before making any judgments. Then he went out and tried to pick the judge who he selected back in 2013 for that position. That was not going to fly with another Democrat called the attorney general. She wants to do the investigation. She won that fight over the weekend, and she will have subpoena power. I'll read you some of her statement. We will leave decisions concerning the investigation uh, to be made in the discretion of the independent counsel selected by me, the attorney general. Uh, Her name, of course, is Letitia James. Uh, To clarify, I do not accept the governor's proposal. The state's executive law clearly gives me the authority to investigate this matter once the governor provides a referral. While I have deep respect for Chief Judge DeFore, I am the only duly elected attorney general and it's my responsibility to carry out this task. That's DeFore is the one that was put in place by Governor Cuomo. The governor must provide this referral so an independent investigation uh, will be able to be subpoenaed. They're going to move forward. This guy's in trouble. And to the trouble to the point where you got the Washington Post predicting that he will not last. And the problem is for Governor Cuomo is he's arrogant and he's on the record on just about every major decision, even from Kavanaugh. He was very aggressive, talking about everybody should be believed. So are just about every Democrat. Kamala Harris on Kavanaugh impeachment a year after his nomination hearings when two New York Times reporters wrote that they found new corroborating evidence to support previous sexual allegations. She writes, uh, Vice President Kamala, uh, she writes that he should be impeached. Okay, Uh, we should everybody should be believed. Right. So why not this woman? Vice President Kamala Harris has not weighed in. Senator Elizabeth Warren has not weighed in. Two time presidential candidate Hillary Clinton has not weighed in. You know, who has weighed in. A lot of Democrats, including lieutenant governor, wants an investigation. The assembly speaker, a Democrat, wants an investigation. And the majority leader wants an investigation. AOC says Lindsey Boylan and Charlotte Bennett's detailed accounts of sexual harassment are extremely serious and painful to read. There must be an independent investigation. That's what happens. Senator Gillibrand barely weighs in. Jerry Nadler wants an investigation. So when you have Democrats turning on you, it's a big deal. Lee Zeldin, who may be running for governor, said this, cut to. 
the governor is entitled to uh, to say his side of the story. That should be part of the investigation. Uh, Charlotte should have her opportunity to share uh, her side of what she experienced. What's really important to note, whether it's Charlotte, it's Lindsey Boyland, it's Assemblyman Ron Kim, uh, and others who have spoken out, these are Democrats, these are staffers, these are elected officials. Uh, they are speaking up against people in uh, against someone in their own party. So, and Zeldin, look, if a Republican has a shot, it's him. Uh, Washington Post, I'll read you some of the excerpt from the, one of their editorials today. It is starting to look as if the question will soon be not if, but when New York Governor Andrew Cuomo will be forced to resign. Cuomo, who only a few months ago was lauded as America's governor for his um, a public performance during the coronavirus pandemic is being beset by scandal trifecta. The right thing to do is to simply look at the evidence, not the politics. What are depressing, however, is the message has not gone through to many of the men themselves. So here we go. No game, not jump to conclusions, but his arrogance has brought so many enemies on both sides of the aisle. He has no supporters. So unlike a lot of people, when they get in trouble, they say, well, I'm shocked by this. No one's saying they're shocked by this. Meanwhile, I thought the president was really strong at CPAC. I thought they had for four days, I think the, the Republicans got their, got their mojo back. A couple of things. I always thought the key to the president's speech to be successful was not to attack people he, in, he in, inherently wants to. Those who did not vote uh, to exonerate him but voted to impeach him. Those who came out against him denying the election loss like Liz Cheney, like Mitt Romney, like Senator Bill Cassidy, like Adam Kinzinger. He didn't. He mentioned them. They didn't vilify them, didn't make that a centerpiece. Therefore, he denied MSNBC, CNN, and every Democratic pundit an opportunity to say the Republicans are in a civil war. It is not the case. Cut seven. Hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? A lot of things going on. To so many wonderful friends, conservatives, and fellow citizens in this room and all across our country, I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we've begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. We've just started. I mean, that doesn't represent the whole Republican Party. It represents his base. I understand that. He can't win with just his base. I get that. But one thing Joe Biden's doing, even though they say, you know, six out of ten Americans like the job he's doing, when he told 15,000 people that are out of a job, really 25, you think about the steel workers with the XL pipeline. When he told uh, – when he's telling lies that the vaccine – there was no vaccine and the cupboard was bare when he got in there, that's a flat-out uh, – disinformation, when he doesn't push against the unions to get kids back into school, when he continues with this uh, this cancel culture, which is pretty much on the left, when he created the chaos at the border, he is now creating issues by his policies or lack thereof for the former president and his party to get their uh, so-called political feet. And I think the president capitalized on that wonderfully. Yeah. Is he mad at, uh, is he mad at those, all those Republicans I mentioned? Absolutely. But they did a straw poll. The president got just under 60 percent of the vote. Here's his pollster cut 12, Jim McLaughlin. Would you like to see Donald Trump run again for president in 2024? (laughs) 
7 out of 10. It's tough to get 7 out of 10 to agree on anything. But that's pretty obvious. I can tell. That number's right, right? And that, that was true. And I, and I would say the 7 out of 10, but it was pointed out in the New York Times. People expected more. I mean, he lives now in Florida. You know, he has got these big crowds wherever he goes. It's CPAC. They expected more. I actually thought the speech was good. It doesn't matter if he gets 90. He's got 95% of his policies. Uh, there's also a sense that his policies people want. They may feel as though he might be too polarizing a figure, and he'll be 78 years old by the time to run again. And word is, if you'll read the Wall Street Journal today, insiders are saying he will not make a decision till after 2022. And he's got to deliver the House. If he delivers the House and the Senate through candidates that he picked and supported, he'll be a force that cannot be stopped. Cannot be stopped. And I don't, I don't see an up-and-coming Democrat uh, or a star that could come out and, and stop him, period. But there's a lot of game left to play. There's no question. I also thought Ron DeSantis is hot. He's got the second most votes. Of course, it's in Florida, what he's done in Florida. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be spending a day with him on Friday. We'll be able to bring you some of that interview. But I also thought the themes were strong. I think people are concerned about big tech, Democrats and Republicans. The cancel culture, I think, has got everybody worried. People losing their jobs because they support Donald Trump or conservative professors losing their job or forced to change their curriculum so they don't look like conservatives. The cancel culture has gone out of control. Jim Jordan brought that up, and he was a a brilliant speaker off the cuff, cut 19. They're going to harass you. They're going to come after you. They're going to come after your family. They're going to come after your employer. It is sick where the left wants to go what they are doing to the Constitution. Think about the world of sports in just the last year. Drew Brees said you should stand for the national anthem. He had to go into the Thunderdome. James Harden wore a a back the blue support the law enforcement mask. He had to go in the Thunderdome. Mike Gundy, did you follow this one? Mike Gundy, football coach at Oklahoma State. Remember this? Mike Gundy goes fishing with his family, posts a picture on social media wearing a One America News t-shirt. Almost lost his job. Think about that. Almost lost his job for fishing in the wrong shirt. This is scary where the left wants to take us, and we have to fight back every single time we see it. So what he did is not say vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. He went through everyday people, people you know, and talked about what they went through. Imagine what's happening for lower-profile people. They don't have a leg to stand on. Careers are are just falling apart, let alone the challenges you have with the pandemic. A lot to discuss. 1-866-408-7669. Then at the bottom of the hour, we welcome in J.D. Vance, uh, venture capitalist and author of Hillbilly Elegy, a book that's still selling well around the globe. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 70% of the public wants this bill to pass. Seven, well, it's going through the Senate process. As you know, this is democracy in action. We know that the bill will look uh, different on the way out, as it did when he presented it in his primetime address. But we, there is a, an urgency here, Dan, as you know, because by the middle of March, 11 million Americans will lose unemployment insurance. So we need to move quickly and rapidly to get this relief out to the American well, it's, public. It's, keep in mind, Jen Psaki is pretending it's an emergency, but nobody would pass a $2 trillion bill with only 9% of it going to pandemic relief causes if it was a truly emergency. And I'll add to that. They haven't spent a trillion dollars. That's the comeback. I don't know why Chuck Todd couldn't come up with that question or Margaret Brennan couldn't figure that out or George Stephanopoulos. I don't understand the follow lack of follow up questions. The reason why not one Republican voted for it, yet 10 Republicans went to meet Joe Biden three weeks ago, I think, in the Oval Office. The first senators to meet were Republicans. They asked for a meeting and Joe Biden said, come over or vice versa. They came up with a plan and Joe Biden said, come over. And they said 680 billion. I understand you came into office and you want to do some stuff and you do have some power so how about 680 billion he's he said 1.9 trillion reportedly in the background his staff was saying shaking their heads no so joe biden knew how to answer kind of scary but the bill would give 170 billion to schools from elementary school to college but the cbo projects that 95 percent of that money will not be spent this year 480 million of the covid relief bill according to the cbo would go to arts humanities and museums and libraries now you could say that 70 percent of the public Public want this. You know why? If you ask 70% of the public, would you like no money or $1,400? What do you think they would say? They'd say, give me the $1,400. But if you told them that eventually you're going to have to pay a bill with all this fat in it that includes roadways and a uh, tunnel for San Francisco and a bridge for New York, I don't think you'd be too positive about it. Here is uh, what Bill Cassidy uh, said about this bill because he wanted to get it done. He's a doctor. He also can work across party, li- party lines. He thought the whole thing was laughable. Cut 33. But you were one of uh, 10 Republican senators who met with President Biden in the White House. Has Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The president or anybody in the White House giving you any indication at all that they're open to any negotiations? No. And as you may recall, it was reported afterwards that as President Biden would be speaking to us, his staff would be in the background shaking their head no, uh, as a signal to him as to, no, don't concede on this point. Uh, So that's too bad. We've had five different COVID relief packages, which passed overwhelmingly on a bipartisan basis, all five when President Trump was president and Republicans controlled the Senate. So what Senator Cassidy is saying And what anyone could figure out is that this was a bipartisan bill. So Joe Biden gives this inaugural address that was lauded because he talked about bringing it up to get the United States of America, not not blue or red states. Okay. Now you have an opportunity to show it. Now let's say you have no intention of showing it. But what did he just tell you? Four other rescue bills were passed on a bipartisan basis. So you just find out some of the things Republicans want. You show a little give, and you could set the table to put pressure on the Republicans for other things you simply have to have. To say, I reached across the aisle. But instead, you chose not to. And the worst is, it doesn't look like Joe Biden is calling his own shots. J.D. Vance next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Great to meet you, J.D. Good to meet you, sir. Well, Brett here was just telling us about his remarkable transformation from Harvard Business School grad to Yale Law student. So, what's your story? Well, I'm from Ohio, but my family is from Kentucky. Bluegrass State. Yes, sir. I I joined the Marines out of high school, uh, served in Iraq. Wow. Yeah, it was a great experience. You know, I helped, helped pay for college. It's the American dream, right? Exactly. And then I finished up and got my degree in two years. So your family, were they, uh, were they coal miners? No, actually, my grandfather went north to work at a steel plant, like a lot of folks from Appalachia did. They were actually sort of hillbilly royalty because my papa was related to the guy who started the Hatfield-McCoy feud. Really? Yes, ma'am, yeah. Okay. No I just saw that miniseries. <laughs> so what's it like when you go back? I don't... I don't get a lot of chances to go back. It must feel like you're from another planet. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess. Like, you know, who are all these rednecks? <laughs> I don't really use that term. J.D. Vance, uh, that was the book based on his life that he wrote. Uh, was a bestseller for a year, still selling like crazy. It became a, an excellent movie, had a chance to see it. Uh, but now joining us is J.D. Vance. J.D., was how accurate was that moment? Describe that moment. You were kind of auditioning to get into Yale by meeting with people. Well, I was actually auditioning to get into uh, a particular law firm. So it was it was after I got into Yale, I was interviewing for jobs, and it's pretty accurate, Brian. It's it's actually um, you know that 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 scene actually took place in the book and took place in my real life, uh, where you're sort of corralled into this weird restaurant and you're expected to. You know, say the right things and shake hands with the right people and do all these things that 
you know, as a kid from a working class background, I just had no real experience with. So, you know, some things are obviously dramatized for the sake of a movie, but that scene in particular is actually pretty accurate. Well, and so you were trying to get into a law firm, so you're auditioning. You've already had a remarkable upbringing that's seen on uh, Red. It's in your book and in the movie. So, do they actually use that redneck line? <laughs> no, no, they don't. That's you know, that that's one of the things that were dra- was dramatized where. You know, one of the things they were trying to do was 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 pick up on the fact that I was treated as a bit of an outsider. And definitely people use the word redneck when I was at Yale Law School, not in that particular moment. Uh, that was one of the things where you you sort of fuse one thing that happened a couple, you know, maybe a couple months later with something that happened right then. Uh, just so you get that dramatic effect. But it, it, was, it was definitely the case. That you, you definitely found some folks who treated you as just a total cultural outsider. And so I remember this one girl who was actually a very sweet person. Uh, who was really shocked when she found out that I had served four years in the Marine Corps. I was, I was enlisted from 2003 to 2007. And she said, I can't believe you were in the Marine Corps. You're, you're just, you're, you're so nice. Like, you know, the implicit <laughs> assumption there is that everybody who served in the Marine Corps must be, you know, just a ridiculous monster of some type. Some type. And you know, she didn't realize that was that, that could have been offensive, and I just took it in stride. But you definitely had those moments where you come from a background that people are unexpected or unaccustomed to, and they don't expect you to act the way that you do. It's, it's definitely a, a bizarre environment in a lot of ways. So you, you grow up in Ohio. You grow up in a rural kind of a working-class neighborhood. You have a chance to see the elite at Ivy League schools. You know what it's like to be patriotic and fight for your country uh, in Iraq. Are you concerned about where our country is today, especially for people on both coasts and in Washington, how they view what America is and how you know what America is? Yeah, I definitely am concerned, Brian. You know, one of the biggest problems we have in our country is not any particular policy, but it's it's the fact that the people who are in the leadership of the country really don't like the people who live in and work in and, and make the country a great place. Uh, you know, pe- people talk about, you know, our, our, our foreign our military adventures or misadventures, depending on your perspective. But, but if you actually talk to the folks who are in leadership, they have a remarkable unfamiliarity with the people who are actually fighting those wars. Uh, you know, they talk about jobs, but they, they have a re- remarkable unfamiliarity with the people who are actually working in a lot of the jobs that make our country you know, operate smoothly. Um, and, and there is just this remarkable judgment that I think is pretty unique to the moment that we live in. You know, 50, 60 years ago, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, uh, if you were in a leadership position in this country, you at least had some affinity. You had some experience with the heartland. You, you actually knew the people that you were governing. And I think nowadays our leadership class is so segregated and so condescending towards the rest of the country that it's just a pretty dangerous situation. I think you're right. And uh, a couple other things, you know, especially uh, especially when you look at why Donald Trump resonates. How could a billionaire from New York resonate with working class Americans? Can you figure it out? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things going on there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Um, and, you know, obviously sort of a lot of a lot of folks that I, I grew up around very passionate about Donald Trump. I you know, supported Trump in 2020. And you know, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that's going on is that Trump in his style is much more like a working class or middle class person than he is an elite person. You know, he says what's on his mind. He speaks off the cuff. He isn't constantly filtering you know, what he says, which means sometimes he's offensive and sometimes people don't like what he says. But like that's how 90 percent of normal people actually speak. Right? <laughs> they're not wondering if they're going to offend somebody. They're just sort of speaking their mind. And I, I think that that style, um, you know, really makes him identifiable to a lot of people. 
and it's why I think he has such such a passionate base among the working class. And there's so many things to like about your story, and it also is the American story. I mean, you look at so, so many great Americans from Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, had absolutely were born in the most horrific circumstances imaginable, and they were able to overcome it and be successful. We like to think America could do that. I look at your situation where your dad is, is, is not a factor in your life. Your mom has all types of personal obstacles and demons, and you managed to battle your way out and end up in an Ivy League school and a best-selling author and now a very successful businessman. So do you think your story, uh, even though it's sold with America, the movie I thought was excellent, do you think it gets snubbed from the Golden Globes and these other award shows because they don't like the message? You know, it's a good question. I, I don't I don't really know. There's definitely an element where I think critics don't like or, or are unhappy with the idea that there was a, a story told about you know, quote unquote, Donald Trump's America. Uh, there's this idea that if you're a working class white person struggling to get by, uh, your story is just somehow not as legitimate or not as not as interesting as other folks. And I, I think luckily most people in the country don't feel like that. If you look at the viewership numbers for the movie, if you look at the reviews from audiences, they were very positive. Uh, but certainly wouldn't be surprised um, if that was driving critical reception, if it may maybe the movie doesn't do as well as uh, during award season. But honestly, I, I'm okay with that. I, I think that the, the thing I've heard most from people who watch the movie is that they saw some part of themselves and that they saw something about their families, about their lives, about their struggles that were identifiable. And I, I really think that's what you should hope for when you make a movie like this. You want to tell a story that makes people sit back and think a little bit about an interesting topic. And if the movie did that, I don't really care if it ultimately gets snubbed at award season. I was watching you with Tucker and you, you were talking about critical race theory destroying America. Everything's about race now. Uh, let's go yep. hire somebody. McPherson. He's going to be the first. Uh, she's going to be the first American Indian. Uh, she's going. He's going to be the first woman to hold this position. The first man of color. And I'm saying to myself, I'd be insulted if I got the job and I was introduced by. He's the first Irish Italian. Uh, he's the right. first one from uh, New York. Okay, enough. Did my resume mean anything? You think it's starting to really hurt the country? I never have talked heard more about race and I'm older than you and I remember being in 6th grade when Roots came out 1976 yeah. and it was the best by far 50 million people watched this every night and we were horrified for 2 weeks as we watched this incredible mini series that, that talked about the brutality of slavery but it was part of our background we studied it we didn't duck it we understood the 60s we studied it we didn't duck it but now we're supposed to apologize and take statues down for it yeah, I, I think it is really dangerous, and it's it's going to get worse and worse. You know, when when so many times, whether it's in a public policy debate or even just in our personal relationships, the first question that we're expected to ask about somebody is not their character, their values, what they think in their mind, uh, what their family background is. You know, what what are the real things that made them who they are? It's, it's what is the color of their skin, and we project so much onto them, whether they're white, black, brown, or whatever, based on the color of their skin, and. You know, I, I, I just I, I think it was such a blessing of mine that I grew up in a country where I wasn't constantly looking at people and saying, what can I infer about you based on your skin color? And instead, I was sort of forced to ask, you know, what, what makes you interesting? What makes you tick? Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are the values and the character that really make you who you are? I think it's why, frankly, I was able to fall in love with the girl that I fell in love with, not a white girl, not from a similar background. I think it's why I've been able to have so many friendships. Um, from people of different backgrounds. It's why, you know, the Marine Corps works the way that it does is because people really do feel like they're on the same team, you know, even though people come from, from any number of different backgrounds. 
And I, I think that we're going down a really, really dark pathway where if we're constantly asking ourselves about the color of people's skin and what we can know about them, uh, then we're going to start to go backwards in terms of race relations in this country. I think in some ways we already have instead of forwards. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's a terrible thing. J.D., absolutely. Our greatest critics used to be outside of our borders. And we kind of got we got we would wonder, what's going on? Why is people resent America? Well, because we're the best with the greatest opportunity, and we tend to swagger a little bit when we travel. Now it's the opposite. We yep. walk around apologizing. And our greatest critics are on in the inside of the country to the point where Europe, the French President Macron and others, have said that they are afraid of the woke yep. culture in America infecting Europe. Can you believe this? What an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just completely insane. And it, it, like, like you said, it, it's making our country not as great of a place to live in. I mean, think, think about this. If you're a newcomer to this country, if you're a new immigrant, one of the most important things that you can have is this incentive, pressure even, to become an American, this idea that no matter where you came from, you're expected to assimilate into the broader national culture. Well, if the leaders of that national culture hate their own country and hate the people who live here, why are you going to assimilate? Why are you going to become an American? Why are you going to share in the incredible bounty of this country? And that's the real danger of this moment and, and, and the fact that you do have leaders who ultimately don't love the country. Uh, for that matter, why are you going to join the military? Why are you going to fight and die for this country? Why are you going to build things for this country if it's such a terrible place? You cannot run a society. You cannot have a viable, powerful nation if the leaders of that nation actually hate it. And, and you know, the, the unfortunate conclusion there is that you have to have new leaders and you have to have a turnover in leadership because we really do have this very small, very select group of people who have decided that they just hate the country that's given them so many opportunities. It's unacceptable and it's just not sustainable. And so it's so unbelievable, too. It's the, the ones that get rich and the ones that get famous are the biggest critics. So, yep. And the people that struggle every day and wait for that paycheck and know that paycheck's not going to be enough, they're the ones who bleed red, white, and blue. It's bizarre. J.D. Vance, you know that. That's how you grew up, and you're, I'm talking to you now, and you're the author of Hillbilly Elegy, the movie and the book. I want you to hear what Jim Jordan said yesterday as he introduced the president, and tell me if you can relate. They're going to harass you. They're going to come after you. They're going to come after your family. They're going to come after your employer. It is sick where the left wants to go, what they are doing to the Constitution. Think about the world of sports in just the last year. Drew Brees said you should stand for the national anthem. He had to go into the Thunderdome. James Harden wore a, uh, a back the blue support the law enforcement mask. He had to go in the Thunderdome. Mike Gundy, did you follow this one? Mike Gundy, football coach at Oklahoma State. Remember this? Mike Gundy goes fishing with his family, posts a picture on social media wearing a One American News t-shirt, almost lost his job. Think about that. Almost lost his job for fishing in the wrong shirt. Tell me that doesn't worry. I mean, that you and I feel the same way. This worries both of us, right? Yeah, it really does. You know, Jim Jordan right there is, is, is spot Ohio. on. And, you know, when I think about the most important American freedom, I, I think it's the freedom to participate in self-government. Uh, it's it's the right to actually have your voice heard, to express a viewpoint about the issues of the day, and to do all of that without fear of being fired or thrown in prison. And right now, uh, luckily, we haven't gotten to the thrown in prison point, at least for most people. But certainly, if you're an average middle class American conservative and you utter an opinion that's unpopular, you might get banned from social media. 
there's a very good chance you're going to lose your job. I know people who worked in Silicon Valley tech companies who would not dare announce that they supported Donald Trump for fear that they would ultimately get fired, or even if they wouldn't get fired, that they'd become a total outcast at their jobs. If you don't have the right to say what you think in this country without fear of retribution, then I think you've lost the most important American freedom, that freedom to participate meaningfully in the self-government, in the affairs of this country. And, and to me, the question here is, is what do we do about this? I, I think that conservatives have rightly identified that this is a very real problem that exists in corporate America, in big tech. Uh, it exists for a lot of average, everyday people. And to, and to me, the question is really, what do we do about it? I, I've heard this really interesting idea and I think it should become a part of the American conservative argument that you should be protected based on your political viewpoint from getting fired at work in the same way uh, that the left has a number of protected classes where you, you can't be fired rightfully uh, because you're black. You can't be fired for other reasons. I think that if you express a viewpoint that's unpopular, you should be protected from losing your job. You should be protected from being deplatformed by big tech. Because, again, if we don't have that freedom to express ourselves about how we think the country should be run, then we're not really free in the sense that our founding fathers meant. Gotcha. J.D., it's always fascinating to talk to you or watch your interviews. Uh, and, of course, your book is fantastic. I look forward uh, to the next one. Are you writing another? Yeah, you know, I'm always working on things here and there, Brian. I've got a big you know, a business that's going very well that we're, we're focused on running, and so I haven't spent as much time on writing uh, but I, I'm quite sure that, that before too long I'll be out there with, with another book, and I'll you know, keep, keep talking about the issues that are important. All right. Thanks, J.D. Appreciate it. Best of luck. Take care, Brian. Thanks. You got it. So we gave you a lot to talk about, uh, from Cuomo's travails uh, to what's happening in America to Donald Trump. I thought it was excellent speech. Uh, what do you think? You don't have to agree, but I definitely want to hear from you. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't think Donald Trump, one, he'll be 78 years old, but but I don't think he'll be our nominee for the reasons I've said. Over the last four years, we've lost the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Political campaigns are about winning. Our agenda does not move forward unless we win. We need a candidate who can not only win him himself or herself, but we also have to have someone who lifts all boats. Uh, and that's clearly not happened over the last Is four he- years. See, I don't think you could say he lost all three. Number one, as you mentioned, 75 million votes, the most of any Republican candidate. Number two, you also would say it would be a different story. Everyone agrees if there was no pandemic, which is once in a generation and a half. Number three is like he, he basically, every single sitting president outside W, who had the middle of the Iraq, uh, the uh, war in Afghanistan, loses a midterm election, loses a body. So he lost it, and he almost got it back on year four, which was stunning. And in the Senate, this thing runs in cycles. And the Senate cycle was supposed to go to the Democrats. And in the midterms, he gained two seats in the Senate. So the Senate was supposed to go to the Democrats. And instead, it was two impossible victories in Georgia that went to Democrats that allowed him to be 50-50. 
So you could look at all those things. The fact that he couldn't campaign, that he got the virus at the end. So I don't think any of those three things are really accurate in describing whether Donald Trump will have chances or not. This is the thing. The main thing that would stand Donald Trump's way is not 78 years old, I'll tell you that. It will be the... Uh, the legal challenges he has in New York City in particular. They're coming after him in a way I find is totally unethical and wrong. They're coming after him for things that he did before he was president. Now they're going to reexamine his taxes. Now they're going to reexamine his loans. Now they're going to reexamine his transactions. Literally millions of pages of taxes over the last six, seven years. And I think it's totally wrong. But if he gets through them just by paying a fine and gets his companies back up, and if things go continue continue to go his way, I think there's no and things that he does well in 2022. Of course, he's going to get the nomination. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Brian Kilmeade Show, fresh off a big weekend. I'm sure you watched a lot of action going on with C-SPAN, a lot going on with this uh, voting in the House for this bill that nobody needs, $2 trillion that we don't have. Uh, and it's going to be a big week, I guess, for Democrats. They're going to get an attorney general in uh, Merrick Garland. And we should find out how this remote, uh, this Zoom call goes with the president of Mexico as chaos is just taking root on our border. Anyone who tells you it's bad is underreporting it. There is a flood of illegal immigrants coming to the border primarily because of Joe Biden's promised policies. And this is a mess that was totally preventable. A little bit later on this hour, we're going to be joined by David Wells, the former Yankee. Uh, great. He's going to be talking about doing something on Fox Nation with Johnny Joey Jones, which was great. Outdoor channel there. We're talking about that. And uh, Mike, uh, the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, standing by, had a great speech at CPAC. And before we get to the secretary, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have support from Republican mayors and county executives. We have support from Republican governors for the rescue plan. This bill is bipartisan. It's bipartisan everywhere in the country, but that's except the U.S. Capitol. Right. Cedric Richmond, a key uh, advisor to Joe Biden. It's popular everywhere because people are going to get $1,400. But when you look at this bill, that's all they're getting out of the $2 trillion. The House barely passes the one point nine rescue package. Uh, but two Dems decide to vote with Republicans and not one Republican voted for it at all in the House. We'll talk about what's likely to happen in the Senate, why we need this, why, why do we need this while we still have $1 trillion unspent. Number two. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me well, CPAC shows the death of the Republican Party and their leader, Donald Trump, has been greatly exaggerated. What the four-day conservative fan fest revealed about the state of the party and the takeaways from the president's first major appearance since January 6th, including his decision not to attack his Republican attackers for the most part, and why Dems and Joe Biden should be very concerned. 
Number one. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo apologizing for what he calls inappropriate and insensitive comments. Cuomo facing allegations from two former aides who accuse him of sexual harassment. For the first time, the governor is acknowledging his behavior amid calls for him to be ousted. Thousand Camerata, my ex-colleague on CNN, talking about Andrew Cuomo, rarely in American political history has the mighty fallen so far so fast. A party that was once eyeing him for president in 2020 and a frontrunner in 24 now might be sending him out the door after 11 years. Two sexual harassment allegations and a rash of condemnations coming his way, mostly from Democrats. And now let's bring in the Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, great speech this week, last week. Thanks, Brian. It was um, was a great audience. Uh, Your point about the conservative movement continuing, I think, is spot on. The the, the building was uh, electric. Uh, It was fun to walk around the hallway and get a chance to shake hands and meet people. People are committed to the vision that uh, we executed these past four years. True. How was it having your son introduce you? (laughs) <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Also unnerving, as you can imagine, Brian. You send him to the podium. You've been with him for, for all these years and just don't know what he might say. But it was great. He did a wonderful job. I was really proud of him. And uh, here's a little of uh, some of the remarks in case uh, they missed him, Mr. Secretary. I was with the president so many trips, and he would tell his counterparts across the world, he would say, look, I'm going to put America first as the president of the United States, and I expect you will put your country and your people first. And we'll work together and accomplish this for both of our countries, and we did that. America first is right for America. It's right for each of us. America first secures our freedom, and the entire world benefits when America is fearless and bold and strong. And, Mr. Secretary, one of the first things Joe Biden said to our European allies is America is back. What was he talking about, and what do you think, how do the Europe, our European allies interpret that? I think the entire world interprets it as uh, going back to the apology tour that President Obama engaged in for his time and foreign policy. Uh, when he was leading the United States of America, I think they see it as weakness, appeasement, not America leading, but I think they use the phrase America uh, will lead from behind. Uh, they see it as a complete flip from what uh, I spoke about in my speech, which was President Trump unabashedly, and I as a Secretary of State put America first. And Brian, when we do that, it's not about America alone. That's what was my remarks were about. It's about taking care of the American people, making America strong. And when we do that, the world is a better place. It's more prosperous. The whole world is more secure. But when America is weak and we do things like rejoin the U.N. Human Rights Council that's full of the worst human rights violators in the world, I think the world sees we're not serious, we're not leading, and we're not strong. And it gives the Iranians, the Chinese, the Russians all the power uh, all in lots of places that the American people can't afford to have them in power. So you had so many different issues on your plate over this time and no major wars, thankfully, to preside over, maybe wind down in Afghanistan. I think Joe Biden has a major decision to make on May 1st. Should he leave any type of troop presence or back out and keep his deal with the Taliban? What do you hope he does? I hope he continues the precise policies that uh, I laid down, which were to make sure two things. One, we got our boys and girls home. We had fewer American soldiers in harm's way. Uh, all the while making sure that there's never again an attack from that place against the United States of America has happened back in 9-11. You know, it still, frankly, angers me every time I think about 9-11, and we did that. You know, for a year, Brian, we didn't have a single American soldier killed there, and yet the risk of terror attack from Afghanistan did not increase. Those were the policies that served the American people. We showed strength when we needed to, but we were incredibly restrained when it came to using our young men and women in places which just were going to have them knocking down doors and not adding security for the American people.
But I do believe, me personally, that if we take our presence out of there, we'll pay the price. We did that once. We left, and we let terror fester. Doesn't that concern you, Mr. Secretary? Brian, we should never let terror fester anywhere. Uh, But we shouldn't overly focus just on that particular place, right? We have threats from Yemen. We have threats from Iran. We have threats in the the Philippines and Asia, right? Al-Qaeda has now um, got pockets of resistance all over the world, and we saw what had happened with ISIS in Syria. When the, the, the rule needs to be, when the United States is threatened by terror anywhere in the world, America will take the action necessary to protect and preserve America. But it doesn't mean large troop presences all across the world, which frankly simply allow other countries to free ride off our young men and women. So we don't really know what happened, the details with Khashoggi. You guys did a full report on who's responsible. I think any logical person thinks they don't go ahead and kill a Washington Post journalist uh, in Turkey without permission from this prince who at this MBS, who has got a glowing profile in 60 Minutes, and he has put real reforms into that country. Here's what Joe Biden said would ha- what should happen if he becomes president when he was a candidate. Cut 44. President Trump has not punished senior Saudi leaders. Would you? Yes. I would make it very clear. We were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. They have to be held accountable. Well, it doesn't seem like he is. And number two is he released a report you guys did. How do you feel about that? Brian, the report that they released was a complete political stunt. It was the worst kind of politicization of American intelligence, it put lots of folks at risk. And uh, I think they did it. I frankly think they did it, Brian, because they've made a choice. They want to cozy up to the Iranian regime. And so to cozy up to the Iranian regime, they feel like they need to reject the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But it's, it's not a close call. The Iranians kill more people. I mean, look, look the, the murder of Khashoggi, our, our administration took seriously. We sanctioned 18 people we, we took this seriously. I spoke with the crown prince. I spoke with the king about this issue. We didn't just slough it off. That, that murder was horrendous. But the Iranians kill more people around the world every year than any other country in the world. And somehow this administration thinks that they're going to make this political case because the left has taken up this cause. Celeb. The, the left has taken this up, and they're going to cozy up to the Iranians. That presents real risk to the American people. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia has been a great security partner for the United States of America, meaning that we don't have to send our young boys and girls into the Middle East to fight. And when we got the Abraham Accords finally across the line, we increased stability in the Middle East. We secured American prosperity and freedom and made sure we didn't have to send our kids over there nearly as much. And this administration is going to upend almost all of that, I fear. Secretary Pompeo, I think they think America is a bunch of simpletons. They know it's a rough neighborhood. There are no perfect nations, and the closest one to that is Israel over there. That's a democracy, at least they're trying to be. I get it. But if, you, if you're going to leave Saudi Arabia, they're not going to be uh, orphans. In comes China, in comes Russia. You got to be calculated, and you got to make a choice. If you leave, if you leave Saudi Arabia, where are you going? You're just, you're just right, going to voluntarily that, give up influence. That, that's exactly right. This is this is what this is what we knew, and this is what we did. It's um, it's a tough world out there. I, I, I've said that all along. Uh, we have countries that are working alongside of us, and we have countries that are working against us. And we need to make sure that we have friends and partners and allies all across the world, and we build out that coalition. Uh, Just ask the Israelis whether they think it would be better to partner and cut a deal like the JCPOA with the Iranians or if they think it's more appropriate to make sure that the Abraham Accords and the Emiratis and the Saudis 
are on the side fighting against Iran. It's very clear that's in America's best interest and to upend that for the sake of a liberal cause celeb is an enormous foreign policy mistake. So in Iran over the weekend, they rejected overtures from the Biden administration to start nuclear talks. Uh, wait a second. This country is on its back with sanctions. Where are they getting this boldness from? It is really easy to understand. Uh, they've already received multiple concessions from this administration. Uh, $5 billion IMF loan. Looks like they're going to let go through a bunch of money that we never allowed to happen. A bunch of money from South Korea that we never permitted to happen. They think they can hold out and they'll get more concessions. Uh, why, why come to the table when the other side is caving already, Brian? Uh, and so I suspect that's what they'll do. They'll continue to threaten. They'll continue to test. They'll continue to present risk to the United States. And I, I hope this administration will conclude that that's not in America's best interest and will turn away from the policies that they had put in place eight years ago under President Obama. So yeah, a couple of days ago, uh, Joe Biden, is, we think his first military action, uh, took aim at a militia group, Iranian-sponsored, if you could follow this, located in Syria. And they had dropped seven JDAMs at seven different different sites. Um, I know you don't have the access to the intelligence you did have, but are you in support of this move? When people threaten the United States, when countries threaten soldiers of ours stationed anywhere, we have to respond, we have to defend, and we have an obligation to try and deter that. We did that. Deterrence doesn't come by dropping some bombs in the desert or by uh, – by throwing some JDAMs into an empty building. I don't know precisely what they struck. I hope it was a target that sent a deterrence message to the Iranians that says you cannot attack American soldiers wherever we put them. Uh, I don't know precisely what success they had. I don't know precisely what targets they struck, but our mission was always to do this, to be very restrained. But the moment we felt there were Americans at risk, we were gonna come at them heavy, we were gonna come at them hard, and we were gonna do it in a way that messaged to the Iranians, don't touch our people. Last night on 60 Minutes, uh, they went over the attack the Iranians had in our base. We got the heads up, and you know all this, but I'll just tell you what, what we saw last night, the American uh, American people saw. Uh, they got the heads up. They were going to hit the Al-Assad air base. But if you got your men out and women out too quickly, they would realize you knew what they were going to do in response to Soleimani's death. So you had to wait for them to buy their commercial fo- satellite photos and after they bought them, they would see what they had, and then you would evacuate. But you couldn't pull out everybody. It seems like our guys did get some traumatic brain injuries, and our women are suffering right now. But if they had killed any one of our guys, we didn't know how bad it was for those who survived it. Uh, what would have been our response then? What do you think about the report last night? So I didn't see that piece, Brian. I, I do know this storyline pretty well. We did have young Americans who were injured. Uh, absolutely tragic. Uh, we need to do everything we can to make sure we continue to take care of them and, and their families as well. America owes that to them. But when we were evaluating how we uh, ought to respond, uh, we were making clear that we wanted to respond in a way that imposed real costs, not just on these knucklehead militiamen in Iraq or in Syria, but on the Iranians themselves. The perfect example is the strike we took on Qasem Soleimani, right? Rather than going after some uh, desert hoodlum, we went after the Iranians themselves and their leadership. You must show strength. When you show strength, you deter. If you don't show the strength, the risk that there's a war or there are more Americans injured or killed increases dramatically. We were, we never did that. We never appeased. We always struck real strength. 
You are somebody who's achieved almost everything I imagine you wanted. You're number one in your class in at, at West Point. Then you become a impactful congressman right away. And then when you have a Republican president, he wants you to be the CIA director, and then he wants you to be Secretary of State. Uh, you had a chance to be a, the next senator from Kansas. If you had ran, you would have won. You got to wonder. I mean, you could do a lot of different things. What do you think is next for you? I know you got a couple of jobs right now. What would be the next challenge for Mike Pompeo? Oh, goodness, Brian, it's a good question. Um, Susan and I are kind of thinking our way through what comes next. For the moment, we're going to take a little bit of a rest and uh, do a little bit of writing, talking about all the accomplishments of these past four years. Uh, your point's well taken. America has richly blessed me. Um, I owe an awful lot to it, and I intend to stay in this fight. I am a diehard conservative believer, and I, I promise you, that I will continue to be a part of this conversation because this matters to the United States of America, to my kids, and uh, one day I hope we have grandkids to them as well. If Donald Trump runs in 24, would you? Oh, goodness. We're so far, we're so far from that. Uh, I'm making sure I get to run to the grocery store right every day now for my wife. Gotcha. Uh, very well done. So a politician, a statesman, an intelligence guy. It's a pretty good-looking resume. Mr. Secretary, I hope to talk to you early and often. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Yes, sir. Have a good day. And great speech. Uh, we come back. Your turn, one 408 Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I believe her to testify in the United States Senate against someone who is being nominated to one of the most powerful positions in the United States government, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. I found her very credible. You have to ask yourself, why would anybody put themselves through this if they did not believe that they had important information? Republicans are playing politics with the Supreme Court, and they are willing to step on anyone, including the victim of a vicious sexual assault, in order to advance their agenda. And let me just explain this. These are comments about Kavanaugh and his accuser, not about Governor Cuomo. And now he has two sexual assault accusers, both liberal Democrats. Charlotte Bennett came out over the weekend, executive assistant, health advisor to Cuomo, said she felt extremely uncomfortable, told her mother at the Times, got corroborating evidence. She's the second accuser who was supported by the first accuser. And you know the first accuser came out earlier. Her name is Lindsay Boylan. Uh, she tweeted out, like a true abuser, Governor Cuomo continues to work behind the scenes to undermine the truth and to harm as many victims. His abuse of power never ends. He does not get to choose the judge and jury. We do. And what is abundantly clear to me is the governor should resign. And if he does not resign, he should be removed from office. Not one more victim, not one more life destroyed, let alone the nursing home situation where he lied about the totals and supervised that, let alone the other investigations that many of you around the country have missed, that he, as soon as he got close in this Moreland investigation, he disbanded the entire thing. And now he wanted to pick out the judge that was going to evaluate whether he did these things, a judge that he appointed, which the attorney general, another liberal Democrat, Letitia James, she pushed back and says, no, I'll do it. I'll pick the investigator and I'm going to have subpoena power. This guy's in trouble to the point where they're saying now the New York Post and Washington Post that it's not a matter of if he's out before his term is done. It is when. 
He's 11 years in to his third term, which would end in 2022. Man, have the mighty seemingly, seemingly have fallen. We don't know where this goes. We don't have credibility. I wasn't there. You weren't there. But, man, these women need to be believed. Isn't that the word? From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Even before the current scandals, there was something gross about Cuomo's glee in his public adulation last year, from his constant appearances with his brother on CNN to him co-signing on the term Cuomo-sexuals. The only sexual orientation, by the way, it is completely acceptable to discriminate against. To the book that he published last October about the lessons he'd learned from handling the still-ongoing pandemic, which will presumably, one, do press conferences to the end. Wow. John Oliver, late to that party, though, I would have appreciated a lot more six months ago, you know, when he was still riding high. True, but at least he got to it, and I guess his advantage is that he only has to go on once a week, so he was able to get it all together yeah. once things blew up last I week. always said if he replaced John Stewart, the ratings wouldn't have budged, and he is so much better than the guy they have now. John Oliver is funny, and by the way, he attacks us, I mean, our network, most like 80% of the stuff. I'm not saying it. He's just funny. He's creative. He's got opinions. This guy, uh, Trevor Noah, is nothing on The Daily Show. He used to be, I know we disagree here, he used to be funnier prior to the pandemic, and now he's just really not at all. Sitting in his house? It's awful. But all those late-night shows have suffered. I guess Colbert, too, but they just mean nothing. They just mean nothing. They used to mean everything. Remember how often we used to play cuts from monologues because they used to be intriguingly funny and... And now they're just they're just news shows. Yeah, now sometimes we get James Corden. Not all the time, but sometimes we'll find something funny. Yeah, there. James Corden got a big interview with Meghan Markle and uh, Prince Harry. Prince just Harry? Prince Harry. He called Meghan on the phone, but she wasn't in on the interview. But so he said what? He he said basically I, I had to get out of there. It wasn't healthy for his mental health. He didn't want history to repeat. And apparently there's going to be a big special with Oprah this weekend. I'm sure you're going to set your DVR. <laughs> yeah, not yet. But I just understand that of everything, people listening to us right now, the people who go paycheck to paycheck, who are wondering if they can afford college and they lost their job, that's stress. It's You look at Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, I just don't see that as stress. Princess Diana is a little different. In a b- brutal divorce where she's swallowed up by a family, has no identity, and it can't get out. I mean, they literally, this guy is not even going to be king. She's not, she's not going to be a queen. All she has to do is uh, go to a few ribbon-cutting ceremonies. She could have started her acting career. I mean, how bad was this? What, what is the stress? This guy was having a happy life. He was serving in the military. He was one of the guys. He was in Vegas taking his clothes off, running around getting in trouble in hotels. Well, that was before he got married. Right. But where was the stress? He was handling it differently then. They said the media was stressful. I mean, you can speak to this more than I can in that when people write terrible things about you in the media, sometimes it's hurtful. Well, I've been compared to Prince Harry a lot. You have And so this is just the latest. Well, but I guess here's the difference, though. If, if people started, like, really ripping apart your family, your wife, your kids, you would take it a lot more personally, no? Yeah, but 
but they're not. I mean, the stuff they're saying is, well, they don't get along. They do get along. Uh, the queen doesn't like the white. Okay, you know, that's like. And if you know it's not true, it becomes that's like comic true. book stuff. Agreed. It was a nice excuse to move to uh, Hollywood. Yeah, and now he still gets paid. He's got a ton of money, and he, he got evidently signed a huge podcast contract. Mm-hmm. Then they signed something with Disney. What last year? Yeah, they're they're not lacking. Yeah. But I guess he doesn't speak to his brother, so that's kind of weird. We'll find out when he speaks to Oprah. Nothing was off the table. Right. And by the way, what is Oprah airing on? It's on CBS. But she shouldn't be. She was always ABC. She can just do that? She can get an interview and then go pick the network? I mean, even for Oprah, that seems too powerful. Well, she basically can A and B. I think it helps that Gail King is her best friend. Oh. Yeah. That's right. I should have been nicer to her. I've actually never met her. Have You're, I met her? Not that I, I know think, of. Yeah. You're usually pretty nice. Right. Yeah. I guess so Gail King would call the network and say, my friend Oprah wants is interviewing Prince Harry. Can you give her a time slot? Is that how it works? Probably. Right. But, I mean, she had a relationship with them, right? She was a correspondent, right, for 60 minutes for a hot year before that stopped. Yeah. So. She doesn't really follow through on anything. Remember she was going to be with Apple? What happened to that? Right? She I had Oprah's serious channel. What happened with that? Does she do a random special for them? I'm not sure. I mean, that's a – you have a big, like, big hoopla she signs, and then it's – uh, it's a come down. I don't know. It's tough to be great, considered the best ever, and then you retire, and then you realize you have 30 more years of productivity left. That's a th- I don't understand why so many people rush to retire. Like, what are you going to do? give up the show. Yep. All right. Larry King was right, then, so you're saying. He you was. to the end. I agree with that. Joe, listen to WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. Good morning. I'm enjoying the conversation, the show. Listen, you know, I landed my wife in college. I cornered her in class, and I said, hey, I'd like to mentor you. You into sex with older men? Think about this. I'm just kidding. I, I actually asked her for a cup of, if she wanted a cup of coffee in the cafeteria. But this is Como. His daughter's at that age. Yep. Same age as his daughter. It's absolutely gross. And that's a hostile work environment. Como has a God complex. And I said this. He's a, and this is women saying this. My sisters and my wife. He's an abusive predator. He's a sleazeball dirtbag. That's how they describe him. But think about who he's... Weinstein, this is who his cabal is. Weinstein, Wiener, Epstein, Schneiderman, Elliot Spitzer, the governor, and Bill Clinton. He, that's why they're not touching him, because the Clintons are protecting him. He's tied at the hip. Gillibrand, she worked for him in HUD. They all came up together in there, Brian. And this guy, I agree, he needs to resign. Clinton's went after Gillibrand when she came out after Bill Clinton about a year ago, and she's silent. You don't even know she's our senator or anything. We haven't heard a peep. They silenced her when she was the flavor of the month running for president. You remember that? Yep. And when she took out Al Franken, she was going to ride that Al Franken ouster towards the nomination because she was going to stick up for women in the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement moved over uh, when, re- when Democrats got in trouble. Now, I want to tell you what he said. He had a terrible weekend. First, he says uh, this situation cannot and should not be resolved in the press, and he went on. Then he followed up later on Sunday. Questions have been raised about some of my—this is Cuomo uh, writing, or his spokespeople. Uh, Questions have been raised about some of my interactions with people in the office. I never intended to offend anyone or cause any harm. I spend most of my life at work, and colleagues are often also personal friends. At At a time, sometimes I am being playful and make jokes. Uh, that I think are funny. I do on occasion tense people 
tease people in, in what I think is a good-natured way. I do uh, I do it in public and I do it in private. You see me at these briefings hundreds of times. I've teased people about their personal lives, their relationships, about getting married or not getting married. I mean, no offense, and only attempt to add some levity and banter to his very serious business. I now understand that my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal, and some of my comments, given my permission, made other, uh, given my position, made other people feel uh, feel in ways I never intended. So I acknowledge some of the things I have said have been mis- misinterpreted as an unwanted flirtation. To that extent, anyone felt that way. I am truly sorry about that. Now, one thing that the twenty-something-year-old said, who uh, uh, Charlotte. She talked about how she was sexually assaulted, and he brings that up. And evidently, experts say he knew about that. He brings it up. It's beyond inappropriate. And he already apologized for bringing some things because he works a lot. Now, I don't know if any of this is true, but people are going on the record, and people are so willing to jump on uh, to jump on Kavanaugh a short time ago and defend Joe Biden a short time ago. Lindsey Boylan is all over this. She says that she expects to be bullied and people to aggressively deny it, and that has indeed happened. But I think he is on the defensive. Joe, I don't think he gets out of this. I think that's going to be uh, one thing that I can't, can predict, that he's in a lot more trouble than he understands. Congressman Lee Zeldin spoke out about this, too. Cut three. What is of note when you're talking about Lindsay and Charlotte, these are young women uh, who were in staff positions, and the governor is a a person who's in his third term. He is the highest-ranking person in New York. He's someone who is approaching his mid-60s, uh, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage to speak up, uh, and it makes you wonder how many more people uh, have been bullied and abused. We've had members of the media speak up. We've had other elected officials speak up. You wonder how many other staff members have stories to share. You, you get the feeling that there's a lot more where this came from uh, during this uh, steady stream of news that's come out over the course of the last few weeks, because this has been the governor's uh, reputation in many respects, the bullying. And look, uh, remember, he never took responsibility for the pandemic. He never took responsibility for asking for all those ventilators and not using it. The nursing homes, he denied it, got caught by his own attorney general. Anything that went wrong with the vaccines, he blamed on the mayor. And we know this is a terrible mayor, so we just assumed he was right. But this guy's been terrible all along. The shutdowns, the arbitrary shutdowns, the arbitrary curfews uh, that he puts on people have just destroyed this state. And now he's going to get rewarded with something like $50 billion because his unemployment is high. They tag the aid to unemployment. Listen to, this is Andrew Cuomo. And this is what you mean, the chickens come home to roost. You're so sanctimonious when things were happening to other people. But when now it's happening to you, you wonder why you have so few allies. Here's Andrew Cuomo in 2018 when asked about the Me Too movement. After the Me Too movement, they did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, They have always diminished the charges of women. Always. Consistently. And they're doing it again. Yeah. How's that going? You don't have Donald Trump to blame. You're still taking shots at him in 2018. You knew exactly where to push it. All right. 1-866-408-7669. I'll take some calls and I'll find out when we come back if there's indeed a need to know more. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, let's go right to the phones now. Gary, you'll listen over in Albany, New York. Gary. Yes, how are you, Brian? Nice to talk to you. Uh, capital of New York, Albany. Do you know? Do you yeah. ever run into the governor? No, fortunately not. I have a few words to say to him, I'm sure. <laughs> but what I'm calling about is uh, I agree with you about uh, Cuomo. He's arrogant as all get out. No doubt about it. Uh, I never voted for him. But uh, the thing is, is, I heard your previous caller saying something about him having a God complex and everything else. My point is there's a lot of characteristics that are shared between him and uh, President Trump. Uh, the same things that... Uh, especially the, the arrogance part and the God complex. And uh, he's, he goes after people like crazy. You know, you know that yourself. You've seen it over and over again. Even people in his own party, his own Supreme Court, and everything else. And, uh, and plus, he's always been a womanizer. But everybody stuck up for him. Uh, why didn't you just say something about his inadequacies, too, as much as you do about his good stuff? Yeah, he never takes responsibility for anything. He had that Buffalo project that lost a billion dollars. His his best friend, he says his his uh, basic brother took the uh, not his brother, but he says he felt like a brother to him. He took the fall for it. There was his other major investigation. He took the fall for it again. He was supposed to he had impact studies, environmental impact studies to see if they could start fracking like they did in Ohio and Pennsylvania. They said no environmental impact. Go ahead and do it. He did not do it, and he does. He wonders why upstate New York, which is if you're listening around the country, it is rural. It is wide open, small town America, and it, it could have been totally revitalized. And he chose not to do it, but never takes responsibility for it. Uh, thanks so much for the call. Let's go to another former New Yorker, uh, David Wells, uh, outstanding pitcher for for the Yankees and uh, Tigers for years. Uh, David Wells, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. First off, uh, do you remember this moment? Bernie Williams plays a step around the left. The 0-1. Swung on. He's going to get it. Popped up to right field. O'Neal near the line. He makes the catch. David Wells. David Wells has pitched a perfect game. 27 up. 27 down. Baseball immortality for David Wells. And the Yankees win. The Yankees win. David, what's it like to to know that you were the cause of that great call? Well, you know, it makes me feel like I need to strap it on and go over to uh, Steinbrenner Field and start throwing the ball around. But unfortunately, I can't anymore. But, uh, you know, it's a great feeling when you get that opportunity. Obviously, there's uh, there's eight other guys behind you to, to make things happen. But, uh, you know, somebody's got to start it, right? I, I happened to be there. So uh, when I was started at Fox, I was doing mostly sports, and I was going to handle the lottery, the draft lottery, and going to New Jersey. And they said, Brian, can you turn around? David Wells is in seven, seven perfect innings. We think he's going to get a perfect game. So I got a day pass. I got in there just as you wrapped it up, was able to talk to you after the best I could, saw the raw emotion because it's been so long since the Yanks had a perfect game. And I have that day pass, and I said to myself, at one point I'm going to meet you and ask you to sign it. And I still look at it almost every day. Would you sign it, David? I would love to, man. I would love to. I think I, th- I thought I already signed everything for everybody because everywhere I go, I mean, I know. I've been all over I've been all over the world, and I run into people. Hey, I was at your perfect. I was over in, uh, I was over in Africa. <laughs> it's, 
And somebody says, I was at your game. I'm like, no, you weren't. They're like, we were. And I'm like, wow, just when you thought you heard it all. So, David, what was it like being with uh, uh, Joey Jones in Fox Nation outdoors scene? You're a big outdoors guy, right? I am. I I love it. Kurt Gibson got me into hunting back in 92, first time I ever went actually hunting for uh, Whitetail. And, I mean, just it was an incredible uh, thing because I was just sitting at home. It was COVID. I was going through all my, my wife and I were going through all the years of my baseball and just to try to organize it all. So I'm like, there's no better time than now. So I was doing it. And, and I was actually, I was going on a hunt to New Mexico and for elk. And I get this phone call and it's like, Hey, this is Kevin Fay. Do you, uh, I know it's short notice, but do you want to go hunt with Joey Jones? I'm like, Joey Jones? Who's Joey Jones? I mean, I just didn't put it together. And then I, once I Googled it real quick, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going. So it was right before that hunt, and I, I drove to Colorado and got to meet Joey. What a wonderful human being. Great is. person. And let me tell you something. For a guy who has never shot a bow, and he forgot his bow didn't come, so he was shooting the, the owners of the ranch, of the Hartees Ranch. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. His first, his, I was right there when he shot his mule deer, double lung from 42 yards, first time to ever shoot it. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's a natural with a bow, let alone a gun. But uh, just to hear his stories and, you know, his passion for, for hunting, but just for 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 the right. <laughs> right. Tell you what, it was pretty awesome. And the conversation, too. It's in season two. It's available. Fox Nation Outdoors. It's a great app. You got to download it. So uh, also, real quick, on the Perfect 33 Foundation, you created this idea, obviously your, your uniform number, and you, you just help your alma mater, uh, Point Loma High School in San Diego? Um, I did. I'm not doing that anymore because I quit coaching. Let me tell you, it's a, it's a son of a gun coaching these days. No kidding. Are, oh, my God. I had to go. Parents were just, it was nuts. But I, I started the foundation for uh, Navy SEALs and military for traumatic brain injuries. So I pay for all their treatments. Um, I've been doing it for five years. We had it in October. Um, I get a great list of guys coming in now. I'm, I'm interacting all the active and retired SEALs to come in and play as celebrities. And uh, so we get these guys in because we know they need the help right? Uh, mentally, physically. And we've done great strides. And I've teamed up with C4 Foundation out there. And they... Uh, because all these guys go up there and decompress before and after deployments. And, you know, nice. and it's just a great way. They bring a psychologist up there. To work. It's cool. Not every guy needs, not da- every guy needs the, uh, the, the treatments. Absolutely. David Wells, uh, Fox Nation Outdoors. See David Wells uh, in his element. You thought he was comfortable in pinstripes? Uh, see him outdoors in camouflage. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we'll be talking to Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments. 
He ran through very thoroughly because he lived it, the whole chronicle of uh, Andrew Cuomo's career and what we, why we got to this point and why he is probably not surprised. And then Brett Bear will bring us inside this rescue package, one of the things we'll be talking about, as well as the ramifications from the C-SPAN uh, series of speeches uh, over the last four days and what it means for the Republican Party. He'll put that in perspective like no other from his perch in Washington. And today, it looks like uh, Merrick Garland will get a vote. He'll probably be the next attorney general unless something stunning happens. Um, I thought he came off really weak and liberal uh, along the way. Where was the power? Where was the timber to a guy that's supposed to be a moderate Supreme Court justice? And today, the President of the United States will participate in a bilateral meeting with President uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico. We have a catastrophe at the border. Don't let anyone kid you. It's only going to get worse. And the President Trump had really done an un- unbelievable job there, and it was blown up by Joe Biden on just ideology alone. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have support from Republican mayors and county executives. We have support from Republican governors for the rescue plan. This bill is bipartisan. It's bipartisan everywhere in the country. But that's Except the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, unless people know what's actually in it. That was Cedric Richmond, a key advisor for President Biden. COVID-19 rescue package. The House barely passes the $2 trillion rescue bill with zero Republican votes and lost two Democratic votes in the Senate. We will talk about what's likely to happen in the Senate. Excuse me, I should say House. Why we need this one now, I don't get. We still have $1 trillion yet unspent, and only 9% of this package goes to pandemic causes. Number two. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? Yeah, that was uh, President CPAC, former President CPAC. It shows the death of the Republican Party and their leader, Donald Trump, has been greatly exaggerated. The four-day conservative fan fest revealed uh, what it revealed about the state of the party and takeaways from the president's first major appearance. Next. Number one. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo apologizing for what he calls inappropriate and insensitive comments. Cuomo facing allegations from two former aides who accuse him of sexual harassment. For the first time, the governor is acknowledging his behavior amid calls for him to be ousted. Wow. Andrew Cuomo, rarely in American political history, has the mighty fallen so far so fast. A party that was once eyeing him for 2020 and locking him in for 2024 now might be sending him out the door. And let's discuss that with Michael Goodwin. Michael, you're probably one of the few people who saw Andrew Cuomo up close and personal. Are you surprised that he's at this point with two separate sexual harassment accusers right now? Both Democrats, both work for him close, both have um, uh, pretty strong stories. Good morning, Brian. Uh, you're right. I, um, I have known and covered the governor for three decades uh, Long, long before he was in public office, even when he was just his father's son looking for something to do with his life. Uh, And I'm surprised only to the extent that um, in the last few years, it became more and more apparent that uh, power had gone to his head. Uh, He was acting as if he was untouchable. He had uh, we saw I think the whole country saw clearly in the coronavirus, the nursing home disasters uh, that he oversaw and in some way created the heartlessness, uh, his refusal to meet or talk with the families, no sense of regret, remorse, contrition, none, zero. Uh, he would do it again. Uh, and, and I think that 
Andrew Cuomo is the same Andrew Cuomo who's now in the soup over these two allegations of sexual harassment from employees in the uh, state governor's office. And so I think that to me this is these are these issues are are very much related to his sense of uh power to his uh grand visions of himself and i think this is this is what happens uh i say in the in the column that uh power corrupts and third terms corrupt absolutely because i think that the longer you're in these positions the more power you accumulate the more the more uh hubris you accumulate yeah. Uh, until until you simply are no longer what you were. You're a different person. And I think the the dark side of Andrew Cuomo has been revealed. Question is, how much trouble is he in? Just to give people an idea what's happening and why this is not a New York story, it's a national story, is because people said that he was the anti-Trump. He was communicative. He knew how to work a very disciplined PowerPoint. He was able to go through the numbers. And because New York had all the cases in the beginning, sadly, all the hospitalizations, the deaths, and we're trying to figure it out, he got all the attention. And for a while, he was back and forth so severely with the president, thumbs up and thumbs down. We thought it was almost unbalanced, but no one cared. Robert De Niro was uh, singing his praises. Ben Stiller loved him. So I guess he must be okay. But Charlotte Bennett didn't. She's 25 years old, an executive assistant and health advisor to Cuomo. Until November, she told the New York Times that the governor harassed her during the height of the COVID fight, including when she had uh, asked her if she ever had sex with older men. She became uneasy about his questions. She reported of what had happened to and her discomfort about Cuomo's to his chief of staff. They moved her out, but she couldn't get away from him, found him suffocating, so she quit. And she came forward after somebody else came forward by the name of Lindsay Boylan, who is uh, a little bit older. She came two months ago, but now she's very aggressive in coming after him. She said, like a true abuser, Cuomo continues to work behind the scenes to undermine the truth. And its harm is and harm its many victims. His abuse of power never ends. I get the sense this isn't over. Now, a local ABC reporter says she quit because of the intense uh, and the the abuse that she got from Governor Cuomo, too. She goes, she decided to quit the business because of the harassment because they didn't like the story she was doing. Yeah, the 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 sense of, uh, you know. Andrew, in many ways, fashions himself as his father's son. I mean, that his father is a is a giant figure in his life politically. And uh, Mario Cuomo uh, had three terms as governor, was talked about for president. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is now in his third term, uh, and it's been, as you said, talked about for president. So there's a competition in Andrew's head about his father. And, you know, one of the great differences uh, is that Mario Cuomo, when he disagreed with a story, and I had this experience myself, when he disagreed with a story from uh, that you wrote, he would call you at 7 a.m., keep you on the phone for two hours arguing with you. And he wouldn't attack you, but he would argue trying to show you why you were wrong. It could be a small point in the story, but he was fixated on it. And uh, what people often said was a kind of a Jesuitical approach to politics. Uh, Andrew Cuomo doesn't call you to argue. He calls you to scream. He has somebody else call you to scream and threaten to destroy you. That's the difference, a clear difference between father and son. And I think that uh, Andrew's so-called apology yesterday was, uh, as Lindsay Boiling correctly says, worth nothing. Uh, It was essentially 
if I said something that was misinterpreted. So other people misinterpreted. It wasn't his intent. No, his intent was pure. They misinterpreted. But he's sorry anyway. I mean, I think that we're going to find that uh, this investigation, which is now going to be conducted by an outside law firm over which he has no control, the attorney general controls it, uh, will look at all of these things. And I think that the the, there probably will be other things, and some of this has already been documented. There's lots of emails right. about some of these things. So there's a mountain of evidence, and I think it's going to be very hard for him to talk his way out of this. The question is, will the legislature take action? Will there be any criminal charges coming from the nursing home debacle that the FBI is said to be looking at? So he's in a heap of trouble right now. No question. And when you have uh, Democrats like... Alexandria Biaggi, whose uh, fam's got a le- family's got a legendary name in New York, say this, cut six. He's actually saying that he meant for those words to be playful. And there is no realm of playful when a governor of a state asks a young staffer who is 25 years old um, if she has sex with older men or if she has sex outside of her relationship. That is not only inappropriate, it is abusive. That behavior from the governor is the exact behavior that prevents us from having good governance. It impacts policy. The lack of just being able to acknowledge that either mistakes are made or that certain behavior is harmful to others is highly problematic of someone who holds the office that is the the highest office of the state of New York. And with his apology, it goes on for a full page, but I'll just tell you the point that everyone's focusing on. At work sometimes, I think I'm being playful and make jokes, and I think that I am funny. I do so on occasion to tease people in what I think is in a good-natured way. I do it in public, and I do it in private. You have seen me do this at hundreds of briefings. Mayor de Blasio just said this about that. That's not an apology. Um, he seemed to be saying, oh, I was just kidding around, you know, Sexual harassment is not funny. It's serious. It has to be taken seriously. And, and he just clearly was letting himself off the hook um, for something that, for the women involved, sounded pretty terrifying. Uh, so, again, full investigation. We've got to understand what happened here. Anything like that, if someone purposely tried to use their power to force a woman to have sex with them, of course, uh, that's someone who should no longer be in public service. But listen, no one said that. What he just said was too much. But these guys hate each other, right? Even though they're from oh, the yeah. same party. So I, you could take that. I just It's important for a New York mayor to comment on a governor. I'll share that with you. But, Michael, are you like the Washington Post uh, when they write today? It is starting to look as if the question will soon be not if but when New York's governor will be forced to resign. Do you Are you feeling that way? Uh, not completely. Uh, I, I think he is not going to go quietly or easily. Uh, I think what we saw yesterday with him trying to negotiate who would investigate him and then that apology, he's setting up a defense. He's not going to just sort of walk away. He has no life other than this life. And so I think it would be a crushing, crushing thing for him. And he will only resign, I think, if there is no other choice, if if it's uh, impeachment or something else. I mean, he perhaps could resign as a as a condition of uh, tr- uh, uh, charges being dropped in some kind of situation. But I think all that's in the future for now, Brian. I, I don't expect that he will voluntarily resign, uh, right. you know, beforehand. But I want to just say about uh, Cuomo's idea of joking. If you ever watch him joking, 
in public. Uh, it's never self-deprecating. I know. <laughs> it, it's it's so. it's like uh, are the cat and uh, is the cat who has captured a mouse is the is the cat just playing with the mouse? Does the mouse feel he's just being played with? I mean, that's how Cuomo acts toward people. He's the king. He's always the one. And you, you don't make jokes at his expense. He makes jokes at your expense. That's what he thinks is funny. And so I think, again, it's back to this sense of self, this abuse of power that he is engaged in. And that is the common theme through all of these things. Uh, and I think it, it, it is good to see. And I, you, you played the clip from Alessandra Biaggi, a, a new uh, state senator. And I have to say that uh, her her class of new legislators, the, the progressive movement in New York, doesn't like Andrew Cuomo, hasn't liked Andrew Cuomo for a long time. But I have to give them credit. They are the most vocal and the boldest about this situation. The old line Democrats are kind of mumbling under their beards and <laughs> afraid to say anything. The, the, the new ones are out there. They're the ones who are carrying this. And and I give them credit because this is what people want from their politics now. This is this is a form of Donald Trump on the other side. This is about yeah. we're not going to take it anymore. True. And I think people on the right who don't understand and seeing all these Democrats turning him, he's not liberal enough for them. So just know that they want somebody more left than him. That's why AOC is jumping all over him. So uh, just keep that in mind. Maybe they're not doing it for the greater good. They're doing it to get somebody in uh, because they feel as though if you get the nomination, you're going to get the governorship. But I don't know. Lee Zeldin, I think, would give it a real shot. Final thought on that? Yeah, look, I think I think if if Cuomo is still in office in 2022 when he's up again, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the attorney general who's now doing this investigation would be an opponent. Uh, Letitia James, a black woman from Brooklyn, um, who's smart, uh, uh, very far left. And uh, she's she's bold. She's very bold in the way she goes after people and, and topics. So she could well be a primary opponent. And as you say, Lee Zeldin, the congressman from Long Island, which is something of a Republican stronghold, uh, might be a good general election opponent. There are others as well. So it clearly New York is in play now because of this situation. Before this, right. I think Cuomo would have been a hard thing to bring him down. Now I think there are clearly the, the you know, the, the odds are changing, the mm. locks may be opening up, there may be some openings here. And by the way, read Michael Goodwin's columns because he could give you the whole report card, not just the play-by-play and what's happening now uh, of, when it comes to New York, which is now a national story. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Uh, and by the way, you can follow him at mgoodwin underscore nypost. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We've got a couple of minutes. 1-866-408-7669. Let's go out to Phil. Let's in KCRS in Midland, Texas. Hey, Phil. Hey, Brian. Um, 
my concern is here we are wrapping on Kukumo, which deserves it because of this uh, accusation. But it seems like Joe Biden's getting a huge pass on the Tara Reid situation, which is sexual assault. I mean, the left media just pounded Trump for a Russia collusion for nearly his entire term. And we can't even continue to talk about sexual assault victims and the guy's the president. I hear you. Uh, I don't think that I can argue your point. Tara Reid won. Yeah, people she knew you listened to, but no one followed up with the story. She's speaking out now, though, in support of these victims. You never know if you're going to shake it. You know, it's interesting, Phil, and it's not going to make you feel better. If they decide they want to get rid of Joe Biden, that Hunter Biden story starts getting carried by these other networks. It goes to show you the media is manipulating instead of reporting. And I honestly say we're not manipulating. We're actually reporting. I mean, I'm not saying Governor Cuomo's guilty of any of this. Well, I don't know these women at all. But when he comes off so arrogant in 2018 telling everybody off uh, about Kavanaugh, how the Trump administration's done nothing and that Kavanaugh uh, needs to pay the price before we came to a judgment on that, that was back in his high school. This is a couple of years ago to Democrats who worked for him still or were working for him still. So I, I understand that. Uh, but uh, in the big picture, the real story is uh, everything should be about COVID-19, getting other side of herd immunity. But it's just hard to miss – the arrogance of Governor Cuomo and have everything blow up in his face. Todd in Rome, New York. Todd, real quick. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Go. No, I think everybody's missing the missing the point on this Cuomo thing. They're trying to get rid of him to put one of their own guys in. They don't like him. They don't like dealing with him. Whatever. But, uh, meanwhile, we're going to get stuck with another Democrat because there's no Republicans up here in upstate New York or in New York at all that I hear on the news. You know, uh, you know, jumping on this opportunity we have. Well, I think right now you're better off having Democrats beat up on him because they can't they you can't slip it. If Republicans beat up on him, they'll just say, well, a typical partisan fight and he'll, he'll have an enemy like if Trump went after him. But I think Lee Zeldin could be legitimate. He certainly got national appeal and he's got a national figure and he's certainly Republican. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We have support from Republican mayors and county executives. We have support from Republican governors for the rescue plan. This bill is bipartisan. It's bipartisan everywhere in the country, but that's except the, the U.S. Capitol. And that was Cedric Richmond on Axios, sorry, on HBO last night. And he's pointing to the fact that the polls do show it's popular because most people want $1,400 free dollars in their bank account. But if you look at this bill, there's no way this is logical. And they're flat out te- – when they tell you it's an emergency and we need this, they're not telling you the truth. It's, you don't need an emergency arts loan. You don't need to build a bridge from New York to Buffalo, nor do you need a transit system enhanced in San Francisco. Don't say that's an emergency. Say it's part of infrastructure and sell me that way, but don't insult me. Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News and special report. Uh, you'll see him tonight uh, at 6. Brett, what do you take about Cedric Rittman's kind of right that the polls say they want this, but yeah, there's a quid, the 1400s the reason. Well, that, and, and I don't think people really know what's in it. 
you know, I, I don't people think people know the, the specifics in this legislation. I mean, you mentioned two of those projects, <laughs> um, the the bridge and um, the train um, out west, but there's other things in there. Uh, school money, for example, doesn't get isn't allotted until next year. Remember that we have a large pot, and it's debated about how large, of money from the last COVID bill that hasn't been spent. Um, I'm talking billions and billions of dollars. And you know, when you look at that, you you wonder why have we not figured out how to spend the last money before we're spending this money? Three hundred fifty billion dollars for states and localities. That's a big number. Four hundred eighty million uh, of this bill, according to the CBO, will go to arts and humanities, museums and libraries. One hundred seventy billion to schools for elementary school, college. But the CBO projects that ninety five percent of that money again will not be spent this year, but will be spent in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. And twenty. And what I don't understand is Jen Psaki's answer is, well, we don't want to lay off teachers next year. What does that have to do with it? There's budgets there for teachers. I mean, it's not like they lost money by staying closed. So I don't even understand right. the people that lost money were the restaurant owners in most of these places and the gym owners. They lost money. Um, but here's what she said about what we are talking about. Cut 25. 70% of the public wants this bill to pass. Seven, well, it's going through the Senate process. As you know, this is democracy in action. We know that the bill will look uh, different on the way out, as mm-hmm. it did when he presented it in his primetime address. But we, there is a, an urgency here, Dan, as you know, because by the middle of March, 11 million Americans will lose unemployment insurance. So we need to move quickly and rapidly to get this relief out to the American Very public. small portion of this. And, and you know what this is to me, Brett? This is a, the biggest unforced error outside his immigration plan because you know and you chronicled this, the bipartisan nature of these rescue bills had already taken place. He could have been pretending still to work across the aisle, walk away with a bipartisan bill, and then did infrastructure, which you might you can get buy-in from Republicans again. So you could be on a bipartisan role. But instead, he decides to do it all his own way. And I found fascinating that Bill Cassidy said when he was one of 10 Republican senators to meet with the president, he said that he kept looking to his aides who were shaking their heads no every time Republicans made an offer as if he was somewhat, a, a, you know, a puppet to them. Yeah. Well, I think the instinct for President Biden, Joe Biden, is to make the deal, to work with Republicans. I mean, that's his M.O. as a senator. Um, it wasn't really as a vice president, but it, it was as a senator. And I think that there are people inside the White House who are, are pushing him to the left and um, and not making a deal. If you took the original Senate Republican COVID relief, um, it was, let's see, $500 billion, but it was targeted and needed and had to be spent right away. And you pass that right when it came up. Um, you know, we might not be looking at this this whole thing now, um, but now you're looking into this bill. They're characterizing it as emergency, but there's a lot in that bill that's not emergent. So when do you see this happening? We know that these, the minimum wage has to go out, which means it's got to go back to the Senate because the House, rather, they lost two House members. Uh, which shows you how this is not going to be a layup for everything Nancy Pelosi wants. They got no Republicans and lost two House numbers. members. That's a funny civil war the Republicans are in the middle of. And then the, and the Senate, 
No one's pledged to support it. They're worried about Manchin not supporting it. Right now, do you think there's solid Democratic buy-in? Have you heard anybody hedging, being that the minimum wage is not going to be there? No, I mean, I think uh, Manchin and Cinema have a problem with the minimum wage, but it's not. It's going to be taken out. So then, uh, I don't. I haven't. I think they're going to crack the whip and herd the cats and and get um, get it across the finish line with fifty one. So let's move over to CPAC. Uh, the president of the United States spoke, and I thought the former president of the United States spoke for uh, about an hour. At which time I thought it was very smart of him and Coy, which he doesn't usually do, a lot of subtlety, just to mention the people that voted for him in impeachment, mention some of them that didn't go along, Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney and others, but didn't focus on them. I think it's a great move. Were you surprised by that? Because it didn't enhance the Democratic mission statement of the civil war on the right. He didn't give them a lot to play with there. Right. And said he wasn't going to start a, his own party or a separate party. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is a, a Trump thing to do, to list uh, the people he has a problem with. Uh, I thought the speech at times was really pointed, um, you know, as, as and targeted in a policy sense when it came to immigration. He spent more time on immigration in that CPAC, CPAC speech than he did on the campaign trail in 2020, um, you know, specifics. And on opening schools, I thought that section of the speech was really good. Obviously, you know, there's other parts of the speech that uh, get focused on about the election and other things. Um, but overall, you know, for a guy who's been out of um, out of the spotlight, this was the chance to get back in. And um, clearly the CPAC crowd liked him. Very interesting. Uh, so the New York Times writes, in a surprise bit of a downbeat news for Trump, only 68 percent of those in attendance at the conference wanted the former president to run in 2024. Do you think that's bad news? 68 percent? You expected more? No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no. I, I mean, after everything he's been through, everything that happened after January 6th, I think it's pretty pretty amazing. I do think that um, Ron DeSantis is on on the rise. And um, should Trump not run again and somehow endorse, um, he might be somebody to watch. Absolutely. And uh, Christy Noem was pretty strong. So the straw poll was this. Governor DeSantis, without Trump, who would you vote for? Who do you want to see run? DeSantis got 43 percent. Christy Noem, South Dakota, 11. Donald Trump Jr., 8. Mike Pompeo, 7. Uh, Ted Cruz, 7. And Tucker Carlson, 3. Do you think uh, – what does Tucker have to do to get higher? Is he disappointed with that show? <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, sharpen up his monologue. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think I think he's good. It, listen, CPAC uh, straw polls don't have a wonderful track record in predicting presidents, but uh, it's fun to talk about this many years now. Absolutely. So uh, we have that package. You have uh, CPAC, the Republican Civil War. Uh, this week we also can look at Governor Cuomo. This is a national story. Everyone looked at yep. him. He's America's governor. Uh, you have a second sexual assault accused, sexual harassment accuser, and then you have a reporter who quit the business because of, she said, the harassment from Cuomo and his staff. And now you have a lot of Democrats and an attorney general who want an investigation. Put it in perspective, Brett. Well, one thing is, is that these sexual harassment allegations and the coverage of them is obviously taking a lot of focus, but I think the bigger 
policy issue focus um, is the what he did with nursing homes. And I, I just I wonder if it's getting crowded out by the sexual harassment allegations. Um, I think in and of itself, that was a huge story um, that largely was overlooked by most of the media. Now the media, because it's it's this, are having to cover it reluctantly on some channels. Um, but uh, I, I think he's in real trouble. I really do. Lastly, your your passion for golf flows through you and almost everything you do. And Tiger Woods' accident. There was a report out today by uh, one of these uh, traffic experts, psychologists, that said, judging by what I've seen, it looks like he fell asleep at the wheel. The, the rove curves, and he didn't. How much, do you think they're going to still investigate this, or is the story about his recovery? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, the uh, sheriff's deputy said there was nothing um, uh, illegal or nothing suspicious about it. So it's interesting to, to see. I doubt they're going to open it back up. They kind of made a definitive call. Um, and I, I do think it's about his recovery. It was uh, on that front, it was cool to see all these golfers come out in their red and black in support of uh, Tiger. And, you know, hopefully he gets back at it. But I. I I saw that report, and I I wondered the day it happened, uh, but I bet you it's probably closed. Right. Uh, just a question. You might want to duck it. Is there a salary cap on your panel? Like, do you have a certain salary figure? <laughs> and, like, if you go get Britt Hume, he costs so much, do you have to use two interns? Like, exactly. how do you do it? How do you do it? I just No, no. We bring the heat. We, we invest. Ah, so money doesn't we matter? We invest in the panel. It doesn't. It's, it's just pure viewer enjoyment. Knowing money, does, it's like 1980s baseball, where the Yankees could outspend <laughs> everyone without any luxury tax. Exactly. So, so Fred, who is, who's on the panel? Uh, tonight, it is Britt Hume. Uh, um, it is uh, Harold Ford, and I think it's Ben Dominich. I think that's. I mean, that's not that you're not a reason to watch, but I'm. I can look. I can really look forward to the second half of the show too. Now, <laughs> it's good. It's all a deep tease. You got it, Brett. Thanks so much. We'll see you. All right. So I did break some news. No salary cap on the panel. One eight six six. We'll see if that gets any traction on dot com. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll find out if there's indeed more to know. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, thanks so much, everyone listening. Of course, it's been an extremely busy show, but I think it's time to find out is as much as we've known from the big three and my two great guests this hour, is it true that we need to know more? More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. And let's start with the Tiger Woods story that Brett just brought up. Tiger was top of the mind in the professional golf world this weekend, and you could tell as many players were wearing red and black. Those were his colors. They honor Tiger. There are a few different tournaments underway Sunday, but at just about all of them, a majority of the players, especially the stars, were decked out in red and black get-ups, all just to honor their hero, Tiger. You forget, the, the generation he came in on kind of resented him in the beginning, and the new generation grew up with him and loves him. Rory McIlroy, Justin Thompson, Patrick Reed, Andrew Putnam, Jason uh, Day, uh, Nelson Ledesma, Tommy Fleetwood, 
Uh, you have a lot of them wearing the red shirt. Twi- Woods saw this and tweeted this out. It is hard to explain how touching today was when I turned on the TV and saw all the red shirts. To every golfer and every fan, you are truly helping me get through this tough time. As you know, he's already had a couple of surgeries for that leg. And, I mean, kudos to whoever uh, thought of that idea. I thought it was brilliant. Next, probably Nike. Uh, Petulum, California, has voted to outlaw new gas stations, the first of what climate activists hope will be numerous cities and counties to do so. Isn't that great? More uh, ordinances, particularly in liberal towns, grassroots groups, are popping up with the mission of spreading this type of ban and forcing pollution cleanups at all existing gas stations. Uh, the movement aims to accelerate the shift to electric vehicles. The problem with allowing new gas stations, we don't really need them. And they're putting existing gas stations out of business. So what is going on here? Again, way overboard, great resentment. Now i got to go run out and get a new car when I'm lucky. Just paid off my old car because my green neighbors don't like them. You're absolutely right. It's insane. And honestly, I mean, how big of a town is this? As long as, you know, states don't start adopting this nationwide. But it's crazy. You're also then going to start, like, what about not just, like, this mom-and-pop gas station or you have, like, the Wawa that comes in. It's, like, a convenience store with the gas station. I know. You're not going to allow that. Petaluma. Hope it stops there. Next, streamers wanted the gold, Golden Globes. Netflix and Disney took some of the prize that the Golden Globes took most of them. Uh, with Amazon streaming service also a winner. Bloomberg's reporting this. Netflix, The Crown, claimed the most honors at the 78th Annual Golden Globes. The drama picked up four wins. Best drama, acting nods for Gillian Anderson, Emma Corrin, and Just, uh, Josh O'Connor. Meanwhile, Pop TV's Shits Creek nabbed two Golden Globes for Best Comedy and Actress Catherine O'Hara. And Netflix, The Queen's Gambit, won for a limited series and for Anya Taylor-Joy. Nobody was there. It was dead. I appreciate anybody that forges way and does it anyway. But this is a weird year. How do you even shoot new stuff? Well, I think they were saying scripted TV is down whatever percent now because they weren't able to shoot for so many months. But, I mean, award ceremonies were going downhill anyway. And now this year is just... Really awkward. Right, and I, I, I don't know if, they, if these guys were funny or not. Next, Chadwick Boseman won a Golden Globe, and his wife gave a touching emotional acceptance speech on his behalf. Uh, let's listen to a little of it. This is Taylor Simone. He would thank God. He would thank his parents. He would thank his ancestors for their guidance and their sacrifices. He would say something beautiful, something inspiring, something that would amplify that little voice inside of all of us that tells you you can, that tells you to keep going, that calls you back to what you are meant to be doing at this moment in history. And hun, you keep them coming. Wow. Uh, he was a great actor. Uh, Chadwick died in August of last year. You forgot about it. He had a private battle with colon cancer. He passed away at the age of 43. Uh, he won that award uh, and his wife accepted in his honor. So uh, that is uh, kind of sad. It's hard to read the next story, which is about peanut butter. Should I? Well, I mean, you've, you're known for doing, you know, good transitions. So there right. we go. This is not one of them. No, not right. really. Uh, creamy or crunchy, here's what your peanut butter preference reveals about your personality. Today is National Peanut Butter Day, which, by the way, I like more and more every year. Uh, but your preference when it comes to the peanut butter, whether you like creamy or crunchy, talks about you. One poll examines the peanut butter and snacking preferences of 2,000 Americans, evenly split by their preference of crunchy or creamy. 63% of those who prefer crunchy peanut butter describe themselves as optimists, compared to 56% of those who prefer creamy. That's a ridiculous study. There's like barely a difference. I would agree. And it also said... Uh, it's what- also over 100 
right? I mean, shouldn't it? <laughs> is that over 100? <laughs> what kind of study are you reading? Yeah, what kind well, here's, of study? The, here's the question America wants to know. Do you prefer creamy or crunchy? Well, I no, creamy. I have no interest in having nuts hidden in my... I don't want surprises <laughs> in anything I'm having. I love the like, jar. I've never bought it, but some people are so lazy, they put the jelly in with the peanut butter so you could just scoop. You don't have to use two separate jars. You've never purchased that... But do you do peanut butter and jelly or just peanut butter? No, I, have a, I, I try to avoid bread in particular, but I am a peanut butter fan. Anytime I can grab a smoothie, I'll put peanut butter in, even like a green smoothie, which really makes the people at Smoothie King upset. So kale and peanut butter? Yeah, it's kind of weird, mm. but I just need some type of uh, some type of hope. Lastly, Kobe Bryant's childhood basketball hoop is sold for a king's ransom. The hoop fetched $37,200 for heritage auctions. Uh, Brian sold, uh, Brian's home sold recently for 810000 but the seller wanted a premium for the backboard and the rim, and the buyer was not interested. So uh, just sharing some stories. It's not the best story to end on, but it's the only one I got. I can't fit another one in in the time I have remaining this hour. And now you know more. Yes. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 